My name is Shandy Chernow, and you're listening to the Shandyland Podcast. I'm super excited today. We've got Chef Mark Molinaro, who is the Interim Executive Director and Senior Lecturer at the Hotel and Restaurant Management School at NAU, which is Northern Arizona University. For those of your, you listeners who are not based here in Arizona, Mark, thank you so much for being with me today. I am so excited to chat about you. Well, thank you for having me, Shandy, and I am excited to be in Shandyland. Yeah, Shandyland's kind of a crazy place to be sometimes. We need that. You know, I, I, you and I know each other for several years, and we've talked a bunch of times, but I've never really like kind of dug in and researched you until in you know preparing for this conversation. And there's some really interesting things about you, and I found that there was kind of a tie together with them. So. I want to hear about your time on the Appalachian Trail. Appalachian Trail? Appalachian Trail? Yes. I think it depends on where you live, but they're both right. One of the two. So you spent quite a bit of time doing that. There's a funny reason that you love risotto. And there yes. seems to be a bit of a theme in the things that you talk about and the things that you focus on. And it really seems to be things that require a lot of patience and attention and a really strong work ethic. I just thought that that was so interesting. So I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about those experiences and how it is that, you know, you you seem to focus your activities on things that really require that heavy, you know, load of work. Well, you that's a very, uh, those are two very big questions that I could probably spend the rest of our time talking about those. So I'll try and uh, keep it in the, the medium uh length level. So let me, I'll start with the Appalachian Trail. So picture a, uh, you know, I, I grew up in Cleveland Heights, Ohio, uh, which is a, a near eastern suburb of Cleveland. Um, uh, just to paint a picture, I was kind of the, the background kid, um, uh, not a jock, not a, you know, social, but I got along with everybody. And I graduated, I mean, there were about a thousand people in my graduating class. So, you know, I didn't really have much need to kind of uh, shine at all because it was just so much activity and fun stuff going around that I was like, ooh, what are we gonna do today? What are we gonna do tonight? What are we gonna do this weekend? So I really didn't have much time to kind of think about what I was gonna do after high school. And, um, you know, I, I graduated high school. I was thankful to be done with that time and you know, some of my friends were going to some of the larger schools uh, in Ohio. And, the and Ohio places. State University. The Ohio, <laughs> go Bucks, right? All the, and some at Miami and some at OU, all this big, these big, huge colleges. I'm like, yeah, I don't really want to do that. Uh, I didn't really want to do that. So, you know, um, I kind of decided, I guess, just through, uh, you know, the time running out, that I was gonna to go to kind of more of a local smaller college. So I ended up going to Cleveland State University. And I'd always loved biology and I always loved kind of helping others. So those, that's kind of a thing that's been in my, my background since I was a little kid, right? Like always looking under rocks and trying to discover things. And that's, those are the stories my mom will tell you about me, right? Oh, you, Mark, you always would look under a rock and see what's under there and find the coolest, right? That are all our mom stories. And, um, so then, you know, I, I was like, well, I, I love biology and I love helping others. Maybe I'll be a pediatrician. Maybe I'll help good combination. kids, right? Like I thought that would be a really fun way to, to 
spend my life now that I'm done with high school. At this point in time, did you know that you can cook? No. Nope. It wasn't connected yet. The The dots weren't there yet. So I'm still like, you know, dotting along in my courses and, and I'm, all of a sudden I'm in a uh, uh, intro to biology class with maybe 250 other people and I'm, and I'm just like sinking in my seat going, what am I doing? <laughs> and I just watch my grades just dropping. Well, dropping, so much for being a pediatrician. <laughs> Next plan. No connection to the material, no connection to this really nice you know, five foot two, brilliant, I'm sure, biology person. Um, but, you know, those large format classes were just not for me. And then, but then I thought, you know, botany, I love botany. I thought it was the coolest subject, right? Like you could take uh, Munch's tree guide and go out and f- discover if you just had a branch, you could figure out what tree it was just from following these steps. And I love that, that precision of being able to use this guide to get to a result. And, but again, did not do so well in the class. Um, and then, so I went like chemistry, like, nope. And at this point I was in my early, my fresh, my uh, fall semester of my sophomore year. And I got a letter from the academics department Uh-oh. and it was a notice of academic probation. I had a 1.9 GPA. Oh my gosh. And I didn't, I didn't even think about, I'm like, Oh, Your students this is are going to give you some side eye about that. Uh-huh. And so for, for me personally, it was that was one of my big pivot points for uh, I need to uh, not let my education happen to me. I love that. that yeah, it was powerful. And it was like it, it shook me and I was like so thankful for it. It was not fun at the time. You know, my parents were paying for my college. Thankfully, I had that privilege. Right. I was very fortunate. Uh, Cleveland State was not very extravagant in terms of price, but my parents didn't make a ton of money. Um, so I was like, oh, I need to, I need to make a change here. So I had um, uh, my dad stepped in and helped me connect me with somebody. Uh, he was the uh, chair of the general studies department at Cleveland State. And I remembered him because I sat in his office and he had this big woolly academic beard and he just looked like, you know, Indiana Jones dad, maybe right. Like he, that's what he looked like. And um, jacket, everything. Totally. Yeah. Tweet, like tweeted out with the patches. <laughs> of, yeah. I was like, I like this, this guy. Like, so, you know, and you sit in his office and he's got this like statue of an elephant from Africa. And he has this like pipe from uh, Peru. Right. He's got a list. I'm like looking around like, who is this guy, right? Like, what is that? What is all this about? And he just starts asking me some basic questions like, what are you interested in? What do you, what do you want to, it was kind of like that Twisted Sister song, you know, like, what do you want to do with the rest of your life? But, but genuine, like, but a genuine uh, way of doing it. And so I was like, I don't really know. I said, I know I like people. And I know I like, like learning about where people are from and what they're all about. And, and, learning about them. And he's like, well, what's, your, what's been your favorite class so far? And I was like, well, I took this anthropology class and I really loved it. It was just intro to cultural anthropology and, and I really enjoyed kind of getting outside of myself. 
And um, I think that's important for me. I, when, things start messing up when I get in the way. I notice that's a big theme in my life too. So if I stay out of my own way, I'm pretty good. Um, but learning about other cultures, he's like, well, why don't you take one more of those classes? And I didn't, at the time, I didn't know what he was doing, but he was basically scaffolding my kind of discovery of what this is. He's like, take one more class. Take one more class, right? And he connected me with this professor. And I remember him because he was like, I don't know, he seemed like he was seven feet tall. Um, big smile. He was from Austin, really friendly, really genuine. And, um, you know, he, so I took his class on... Uh, cultural methodologies and all of a sudden it's like ooh something clicked and that's where i really got into loving learning about anthropology and and uh, how different people live and what they value and, and what they how ate. they eat and what foods they eat and that's that's kind of the 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 step that happened uh, in college so then my grades started going up right i started enjoying my classes really getting into my work and then i graduated with uh, finally a bachelor's degree in uh, cultural anthropology, looking at both um, food and culture. So looking at books like this uh, author named Marvin Harris, who has this book called Cows, Pigs, Wars, and Witches, and talks about why certain people eat cold food, why certain people eat hot food, and why that might be taboo in a different culture. And, and uh, it was just fascinating start. So that was kind of the primer. Um, and then after high school, um, I was all of a sudden I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. And it After took me five years. I'm, I'm a five-year guy. <laughs> well, yeah. that first year, you know, a little dicey. That was like my, that was like my <laughs> senior year in high school. Like, so after college. After college, I finished. Uh, and uh, well, right before college, I was like, okay, now what? Right? That's the big question. The big now what? Dot, dot, dot. And I love bookstores at the time. You'd always find me in a bookstore yeah, walking around finding cookbooks at this look point, at right? Hmm? So look at where I am. I know. I see. Let me see what you got there. Got All sorts ones. of stuff. A <laughs> little bit of everything. All nice. the cookbooks are downstairs, though. There's two complete bookshelves. Nice. Maybe we can scope that out later. But uh, I was in a bookstore and I found, uh, you know, have you heard of Half Price Books? It's, uh, I think, part of eBay, or it was at one point half price books and they had these uh, all over and you would go in and find books for like 99 cents, a dollar, 50. And I found one, it just popped out at me. I, I think it was, I was meant to find it. It was called Extraordinary Things You Can Do Your First Year Out of College. And I was like, somebody wrote this for me and it was 99 cents. So I bought it and I was kind of leaving, you know, you look through the table of contents, like what do they, what, what can I do? And the first one that caught my eye was, go teach English in Japan. So I'm like, I'm going to do that. Because when I was in um, high school and college, I studied Aikido. I studied martial arts. I did Aikido for seven years and just more for fun and camaraderie. And, and it was just a great bunch of guys. Um, no. Okay, so what was on page two? Hike the Appalachian Trail. Oh, let me, let me, the, the, here's why. I, I put my application, it was through Princeton <laughs> University. I put my application in. Mm -hmm. So I, I went to that stage and I was like, yeah, I want to do this. There, and I got a letter back a few weeks later. Thank you for your application. Unfortunately, for this year, there are all, all the applications. We appreciate that, your interest. Yeah, yeah I, I was just late. I couldn't do it. I had to wait a whole nother cycle. And I was like, I don't want to do that. So I turned the page in the book and it said Hike the Appalachian Trail. So I this one I don't have to apply for. Let's go. <laughs> I don't have to apply for it. 
So I was like, okay, that sounds fun. So here's this, like, I mean, part of it is this total abandonment to kind of the idea of planning and this just spontaneous way of doing something. Which, by the way, has totally thrown out the premise of my entire question. Good. So, so much for being all, like, prepared and researched out the window. Let's just, well, we're going to roll with this. <laughs> but then, so then I, uh, it took me a year then to plan for that experience because as I was like digging into it now, I'm like, oh, this is kind of a big deal. It's a big deal. And I, I didn't have any kind of uh, And you went four months, goal. right? I did it for four months, but I didn't have any specific goal of I have to finish or I have to get to here or I have to do this. I just wanted to get on the trail and have the experience. That was my original goal. Where did you start? Where did you finish? How many miles? All the things. So I started in Springer Mountain, Georgia, uh, the day after my birthday on April 3rd. So that's I flew uh, from Cleveland to Hotlanta Airport and then took a train to the Doraville Marta Station. I'll never forget it. And then I had set up with this guy who was giving rides for like 50 bucks. And there's from song the Dor- down for Dorwell. Yes, I think so. <laughs> Is it really? Yeah. But you get out, the guy meets you there, and this is all before internet. There's no internet at this point, right? This is all phone, and um, that's about it. And, uh, you know, no texting, nothing. No, I didn't have a cell phone, no nothing. So I get off, and he drops, and I have my big, okay, so I'm a little embarrassed to admit this. It was about 65-pound pack. Because <laughs> I was excited. And I wanted to do it right, Shandy. I wanted to bake bread. I wanted to make pizza. I had romantic like notions of making bread on the top of like all these bluff mountains and oh, and of being he-man by the end of it apparently. Yeah, but then you know you start and he dropped me off and he left and I walked up to the spot where like hundreds of other hike hikers are, and I pitched my tent and I made my dinner, and it, it was dark, and I closed my tent up and I just started crying. <laughs> what it was I, I was so overwhelmed i was so overwhelmed I was like what the bleep am i doing what am i right all these all this stuff was going on in there so how far did you make it so the next morning i got up and i started hiking and i, I actually made it all the way to greenwood lake new york before i ran out of the cash yeah but it's funny like the first you know month of um i don't know exactly it's way over halfway. That's a lot. Yeah, it was four months. So, um, you know, I think my wife and I keep talking about maybe at some point, you know, either when I turn 50 or when I you know, retire or at some point, maybe when the boys are old, my kids are old enough, maybe we'll all do it. So there's, there's that in there. That's in the future kind of thing. But, you know, you just learn so much from experience like that in terms of, you know, you're alone with your thoughts, like, oh day and the motion that you're doing that physical motion of just you know the constant repetition that 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 rhythm of the of the movement and the things you go through you go through a physical change right i lost a lot of weight i got really fit um i got nice you know if you get these like calluses on your shoulders and your my feet i, I don't even want to share my feet stories with you that i have a whole blog on that no, i'm just kidding let's leave the feet out of it Yes, sounds good. But, um, you know, you, it's just, uh, you just, and you, the things you see and do, I, I could, I have stories for days on that. Um, 
as, as any through hiker, any hiker would. All right, but how did the cooking go on the trail? So that's where uh, kind of the, that's where the dot connected. So you know, I was kind of uh, uh, I misbudgeted what I thought I would need for the trip, as you know, one does. And so it, rather than paying money to stay in a youth hostel or stay here or do this, I would just like cook. And so sometimes the uh, the owner of the hostel or whatever would just give me their car keys and I would drive down into the city and pick up, you know, um, chickens, vegetables, um, some fresh bread, bring it back. And I would cook for maybe anywhere from 15 to 20 hikers. And so that, that means something uh, when you cook for a, a hiker, you know, they're not eating 2000 calories a day. They're eating probably 4,000, 5,000 calories a day. So they eat a lot. It's kind of like hockey players, right? If you're a cooker, like they just eat a ton of food. So just, and that, that just thrilled me when I was able to go down, do like purchase something, bring it back, do something with my hands and make people happy. That was kind of this, that was the beginning of this light that started to shine. Uh, and then when I got back from the trail, I, I had a suspicion. And so I wanted to verify it before I just j- jumped right in again. And um, so I got a job at the Cleveland Clinic at the hospital. It was the Omni International Hotel. It was the only, uh, one of the few five-star, five-diamond hotels in Cleveland. And I was like, well, I'm just going to go to the best place I can go. And I went bold. I just um, contacted them. And I, my chef's name was Ben Sear, C-Y-R. He was a CIA grad. And I think he liked my, uh, my moxie. I think he liked that I was like, just bold enough to like, I want to come just be in this place and be a part of this and experience it. And I said, I want to try it on for about three months. And so I did. And he's like, all right. So my first jobs were, you know, dishes, peeling shrimp, peeling vegetables. Chopping up onions. Little stuff. Yeah, the fun stuff. But every day I would put my cutting board right up next to like the place that I wanted to go. So if, like the next guy was the um, garmage uh, cook. So I would put my, I would park my cutting board right there and I would, I would, you know, like I could master shrimp in, in about a week. I was pretty good. The guy who's kind of in charge of all the chefs, like tactically. Yeah. So, yeah. So they would, they, I would, right. Yes. The person who was kind of the, the next up the rung from me. So I, then um, I would do my work. I could do it mindless at this point. Um, because I took notes, I took notes, right? I studied this stuff. I treated it like, uh, I think even more than college, right? Like even more than in my botany class, I would like, all right, how do you peel a shrimp? And I would go research and I would watch great chefs of the West, great chefs of the East, right? All these wonderful PBS cooking shows and all this fun stuff. And then- The first dish I ever learned to cook was from a PBS cooking show on vacation in Hilton Head Island. I was 12 and I learned how to make chicken parmesan from the TV. And I sent my mom (laughs) to the store. Here, I need you to go buy all these ingredients. And she was like, oh, dear Lord, what are we getting into now? And it's the first thing I ever, 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 ever cooked. And still to this day, I make it literally exactly the same way. (laughs) And is it it a good dish? Oh, it's a good dish. All right, good. I'm going to write that down. Something in the future, I imagine. Chicken parm. Chicken parm a la PBS from Hilton Head. Yeah. yeah. All right. It's funny that, that you were doing the same thing. Yeah. And then, um, so let me see, where was I? Oh, so I'm like peeling trim, and I would just move up. And this would be advice to people who want to get into the industry. You have to be 
um, intelligently assertive in, in what you're doing in the kitchen because it, it can be very competitive. Uh, and, and so you wanna like put yourself in a position where you're that next person in line for whatever it is, right? In a, in a genuine, uh, respectful kind of way. You don't wanna be that guy, but you wanna be like ready, prepare yourself. So, so this, I, would, I would- This work at the Intercontinental really led you to a series of very, very high end Four Seasons, Ritz Carlton, you know, a, a, I mean, there was culinary school in there too, someplace, but you, you were focused in on this kind of hospitality, high end food service, right? And yes. there's where you kind of shifted from cooking to training, not shifted from, I don't mean to imply that you don't cook now, obviously, but you really kind of moved to a more training focused side of the house. Yes, it did. So working through the Omni and then the chef finally kicked me out. He said, you need to go to culinary school. So I went to culinary school, left, worked for Four Seasons in Boston, um, then worked for Ritz Carlton. Um, I got to work in Cleveland and open up a new restaurant, um, went to Half Moon Bay, California, uh, was part of the pre-opening team. And then after 9-11, went to New York City and was part of that opening team right near Ground Zero. And then that's where it kind of uh, shifted because now I'm getting older, right? This is years later and, um, you know, not much in terms of relationships with, uh, you know, uh, having a, a, a someone to be my life partner, right? Like someone that can really, you just don't have that. So and the industry is hard that way. Industry is tough. And so I was working in uh, New York city, you know, and, and it, it, it's just hard to meet people. I think for me, it was super hard just to really connect with anyone in New York city beyond the superficial stuff. Hey. So I was like, right. It's like, it's mm -hmm. tough. It's mm -hmm. tough. And uh, so I called at that point, I called my alma mater. I went to new England culinary Institute. And I called them and I was like, Brenda, who was Brenda Ferber, amazing. She was like that person you go to if you needed a job. And I was like, I need some help. I'm kind of stuck. And um, so I guess that would be a message that when you, when you feel stuck, people want to help you. And, and so, you know, if, if someone's listening to this and they feel stuck or something, just reach out to the first person that pops in your head because chances are they will help you. Well, and your so Brenda kind of changed the course of my life. Yeah. Your instincts on who to call, right? That person... Um, is your instincts are probably good. Yes. And I said, Brenda, I, I, I'm kind of stuck. And she said, well, what do you do? What's wrong? She's like, well, I'm, I'm working in the city and I don't really know what to do. And, and I, I'm looking for another job. I don't know what I can do. She's like, well, we just had a meeting this morning that we need a fine dining instructor. Would you ever want to try out for that? I'm like, you can do that? I was like, you know, <laughs> I didn't know you, it never, it never clicked. So Brenda made that connection for me, and then it just snowballed after that. And um, so I, I was at Nike for ten years uh, in various roles, and loved my time there. Um, uh, just formative, and met great people, and I still stay in touch with a lot of the students um, uh, who I got to connect with. And then kind of Nike was um, uh, tr uh, transitioning a lot. There was a lot going on there, and kind of saw the writing on the wall. And, some things were going on. So I was like, okay, time to start looking. Um, at that point, I had um, gotten married. I'll show this real quick, too, because this is kind of funny. Um, you know, so I went from a, a town of like, I don't know, 9 million people. I don't know how big Manhattan is, but, and then it went to a town of like 9,000, which is <laughs> Montpelier. So I was like, oh, I'm really going to find somebody here. 
So I, I, uh, someone had mentioned um, eHarmony to me. Oh dear. It's, we are that eHarmony couple. <laughs> uh, it took me about two and a half days to uh, kind of fill out all the like, it's a Data long questionnaire. Yeah. And uh, I mean, even if I didn't, even if I never met Christina through that, um, I think I learned a lot about myself and the kind of person that would be a fit for me. And so anyway, long story short, we met through that. I mean, I don't even think about eHarmony. It's like, that was like such a small sliver of our now life together. Well, but see, it was now a, you could be in their us, commercials. Yeah, it was, it really was for us. It was that. It was um, the great way for us to meet. I, I would have never met her any other way, I don't think. That's amazing. She was in Phoenix. You know, she was in Mesa. What? Arizona. And I was in Montpelier. Did you want to move out to Arizona? Is that why you were looking there? Uh, nope. Um, this was even before we started coming out here. This is before, way before that. Um, about six years. So she moved to Vermont with, with me. Wow. We moved all the way up to Vermont. And then we had our first son. Luke, and then three years later came Shane, and she was pregnant with Shane, and that's the time where we're like, well, we're in this small little mountain town. There's no family here, nothing going on. We're kind of uh, job position. We're not sure uh, what's going on. And then my dad found this job where I am now at NAU online when he was in Germany. Oh wow! So again, this spontaneous kind of craziness, and then it just snowballed from there, and, and so, and now I'm in a small little mountain town, just in Flagstaff, not Montpelier. You know, it's funny that uh, that you say that when the second kid comes around, you feel this like need to be close to family. I joke with my older son because my parents uh, moved out to Arizona after my second one, so I joke with my older one that he wasn't good enough. Like, we needed the second <laughs> one to come around in order to get them to move. That's good. It's not true, but no, of course not. It's kind of true. <laughs> no but you're it's like more responsibility more now you're starting to think differently with two right totally it's kind of yeah. funny so i found a quote that i think you were quoting but it's uh i'm curious how you incorporate it into your students then in new england and now at nau um one of the things you said and I, again i'm not sure if you're quoting someone else or not is if you leave room for error error will happen so that's that's kind of a saying in the kitchen. I think that's not something I invented. Um, it is it is kind of a truism. Like um, if you got time to lean, you got time to clean. Like it's one of those. Sure. Kind of probably a scoffy. Sticking on a t shirt or a bumper sticker. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, if you leave room for error, error will happen, and that is kind of a way of just making sure you're, um, you know, being present and being intentional about what you're doing. Um, that is. Kind of contrast to being spontaneous as well. Mm -hmm. It's not because there is so much value in spontaneity. I really like. There's risk there too, of course. But there's so much potential. I think even the, some for me, some of my greatest experiences were these spontaneous ones. <laughs> like what, I look back on my world living, but yeah, that, that's kind of a um, and you know if you leave room for error, error is going to happen. Is about um, kind of a, a call to students who are kind of asleep at the wheel and not paying attention to what they're doing and bumping along in their life. And it's, they need to kind of just get a nudge. We all need to nudge. We all need nudging. And right. And then we need to find people to nudge because yeah. we all need to be awakened at our best. And for you, it was that general studies professor. He nudged me. Yeah. So on the topic of, of students who need nudging and things that you do to make sure that they're ready for getting out to the workforce, 
NAU HRM has done a really great job of doing all sorts of community events and the food trucks and you let the students, you know, really cook for the community, the tasting events. Um, how are you continuing to do that right now in the pandemic, giving the students that same set of life skills, if you will, or work skills, but obviously yeah. without the contact? Well, I get the sense that you saw the article that we did with the uh, Flagstaff Boys and Girls Club. Is that... Mm-mm. No? Okay. I thought for sure. I was like, well, I wonder where that question is. That's a good question. And I think this, this applies in like any discipline can really kind of take advantage of this. Um, you know, all I did was kind of look at what industry, uh, the best practice of what industry is doing now in the climate um, and try and uh, capitalize on that and encapsulate it and present it to the students in a way that's tasty. So I was like, okay, we can't do a, we, normally we do events in our kitchen. That's the thing our students love the most, of right? Course. People and, and um, seeing their reactions and things. So, okay, we can't do that, but what, the, and then it's always that, what can we do, right? What can we do? So we decided uh, as a class, and, and that's another principle about inviting people into the process. Uh, that's a big part of, of successful teaching, I think, is you, you're not the sage on the stage, right? That's what Dr. Chester always used to say at ProStar, right? It was like, don't be the sage on the stage, right? Like, invite people into the process. Yeah. They're going to feel so much more part of it and give you just so much more. So we kind of, after a lot of discussion, we were like, let's, let's create a to-go meal because that we can do, right? And we can learn about packaging. We can learn about socially responsible packaging. We can learn about costing, right? All the normal stuff that we would do. And then, okay, so where are we going to point this effort to, right? We could have done it for, you know, some people, our, our, our staff and faculty and, and students, right? We could point it here. We could point there. But the students decided they wanted to do something for the community. And that's where, as a teacher, that's like, you're just like, oh, right? Like, yes. Tier. Yeah, uh, yeah, for sure. Totally like, <laughs> I, I have I succeeded my, I mean, in I'm teaching Italian, them. So I got my box of tissues here. For all <laughs> um, but it was, it was wonderful. And so the, the students created this menu and we, we thought about the, we were doing, uh, uh, to be targeting the uh, middle-aged students at the Flagstaff Boys and Girls Club. And, you know, what, what kind of food would they like? Um, what do you think would put a smile on their face during this pandemic right they were the students were thinking about all this stuff and so we had all this the boards and the think stuff and the right the paper all over the kitchen and they really thought it out and um that's i, I think one example of and anybody can do that right sure. and it's it's i think it's more fun to do it that way than just trying well, this is what we're doing i think that's great so what do you do when i'll ask the question on both sides you know i'm all about food allergies right it's 99.9 percent .9 of what i end up talking about what do you do when one of those students at the Boys and Girls Club is food allergic? And on the flip side, what happens when you get a food allergic student into the school? Yes, and we are getting better at that, mostly thanks to you and what we're going to be incorporating in our student-run dining room, hopefully. We'll talk about that later. But Sure. Um, he um, means Sir to Star. Yes, we are. We are. <laughs> Let's say the quiet part out loud. Okay. <laughs> But we're, we're uh, I think one of the things we did was try and, uh, our best to make the meal as as accessible as possible. It's kind of like uh, universal design in teaching, where you try and consider as much as you can to get the biggest audience you can. 
because it was a to-go meal, because um, you know the the two people were picking up the meals, we didn't have an opportunity to gather data from young people. That's there's a lot of just stuff there that you can't touch, like personal data for young sure. people, right? So we we considered all that, um, and we made the meal uh, as accessible as possible, and we had um, uh, they put a uh, kind of a Label. piece of paper on the front that mm -hmm. said, right, it contains this, contains this, contains this. So they kind of gave them as much of a heads up as possible. Um, yeah. I but think, I think, you know, for me, forward, when I see like a, you know, a pick up a box kind of thing in, in whatever scenario, um, it's not that I'm, if I can't eat it, I'm sad. It's if I don't know if I can eat it, I'm sad. Right, then I feel excluded from it. If I know that it's not safe for me, that's fine. Thank you for telling me. I appreciate you keeping me safe. I'll go find something over there. But if it's just like, I might be able to, but I'm not really sure, then I feel ooh, excluded. Yeah. Yes. Not yeah. only do I not know if I can eat it, but you don't even think about it, right? So I appreciate the labeling process there. Thank you. That would be something interesting to think about, too, is how can we use Sir Star? Mm -hmm for those types like um, business to business, like uh, catering, box lunches. For sure. We can so, handle that. I bet. All right, so I'm gonna jump a little bit. So you, educator, you obviously, I was gonna say you must have, that was how I wrote the question, but I think it's become clear throughout this conversation that you obviously have a love of learning new things. What is it that you have been learning along the way that you love? but you're terrible at? Ooh, what do I love that I'm terrible at? Oh, I got one. <laughs> um, so I am uh, working on my doctorate right now and chugging along and I love learning like the new information. My, my, it's on ed leadership, education leadership. So learning how to be a better um, teacher is part of it. Learning how to be a better like team player within my, my, uh, my team and learn how to communicate better. I'm, I'm always looking for those types of things. But what I'm discovering I am not very good at is uh, the revision process of writing. <laughs> I'm like a one hit wonder guy. Like I can get it out one once, and then when I go back over it again, I just get stuck. Yeah. And that, is, that has been my biggest challenge so far was revising work. Yeah, I hear that. What do you I mean, want to it's learn? kind of like cooking, right? Isn't it, Shandy? Like totally. you make a meal, right? You're putting all this passion and love in it. And then you're like, the plate's done. And it's like, ah, and then you're like, well, wait, no, let me take it back. I'm going to take this. You just can't do it. Nope. Just do it again, right? Like just you start another one. Edit yourself along the way. You can't go back and change it. Yes. What do you want to learn next? What's on your to-do list? So my net, once, my, uh, once I'm done with this, I have one more year. And then when I'm done, I... I'm going to start guitar lessons. Ah, very cool. So that's been on my mind. It's music is another big part of my life, and a lot of my, um, you know, analogies in the my classes are about music. Right, food and music are very harmonious. Right, you have high notes, you have low notes, you have mm -hmm. loud, you have soft, you have a building of the menu. There's just so much that goes into even the rhythm of the kitchen, the sounds in the kitchen. So I want to kind of expand more on that. I think that'll help my teaching too. I love that. I think that's so great. So we are kind of in the holiday season, right? And I don't know if you'll if you'll have one kind of offhand, but I find oftentimes that chefs 
go to rel relatively simple things that end up being super wow things, right, for other people. Do you have something that our listeners can steal for their holiday parties or for their upcoming, you know, as we get out of our own houses and be able to visit with other people? What's kind of an easy thing that ends up being a wow factor for other people? So, you know, I live in the Southwest now. And so one of the things um, that I, and I teach in class, too, is it's basically based on the simple sauce of um, bechamel. Mm -hmm. it, I mean, for me, that it, it is a horrible tasting sauce. It is. It's terrible, but it's the base I, for everything. <laughs> I would never serve that to anybody. All right. And, so, so far uh, we're at butter, flour, and water or butter, flour, and milk, right? That's it. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, so, but what I teach the students is what you like, well, just what you said, what you can do with it. So mm -hmm. it's, um, it, it's a great base for lots of things. Um, and so when I'm, when I'm teaching the bechamel, demo that the actually what we're making is mac and cheese yep and so they they like that's the most requested kind of email i get after they graduate i'm like hey do you remember that time do you remember me from i'm like of course i remember you you weren't paying attention to my class that's why you want this recipe you know mm -hmm. um should have written but, it down take your notes kid i know come take it again <laughs> um but even that so along the way there's a point where we talk about taking bechamel and turning it into like a queso dip Ooh. So you can take bechamel and in the beginning with your, when you're making your roux, you can sange or sprinkle in a little bit of smoked chipotle powder, right? And then, then you're kind of, then now you've got the smokiness in there and a little bit of warmth. And then at the end, you can finish it with a little bit, instead of um, like, you can do white cheddar cheese and maybe some, um, Cojito cheese, Ooh. right? Or some queso de chihuahua, right? Like a lo more locally cheese or Western or Central American cheese. And then you can finish it. I mean, here's my little secret tip is to put at the end, you put in a little bit of tequila, hey. just a little bit, Talk about and more. then some um, fresh lime juice. And then that becomes a really like people are like, what did you do to this queso dip? And I'm like, I really don't know. No idea. I just kind of warmed it up. See, yeah. this is exactly what I'm talking about. Something that's simple, but has that wow factor for people. And chefs yeah. always have like sneaky good recipes for that stuff. So I appreciate that. All right. So as we wrap up, please let our listeners know where they can connect with you and with HRM online. And if there's anything that they can do to help or be of assistance to the students there. So our students are like, half the reason uh, we moved here. They're amazing. They are so passionate about um, helping other people. And it's, they, they just, they keep me, you know, would you believe that I'm 75 years old? They keep All me so long. young. <laughs> so they are, they're just great. And uh, I think now, you know, in the pandemic, you know, if people are watching this years from now, it won't really mean much because the hospitality is going to take off after this. But right now, like a lot of our students are transitioning over to different um, career paths like real estate and mm -hmm. teaching right and doing all these finance other other insurance companies so if anyone has uh, opportunities for students in fields that like that please reach out to us um, and I think we gave you our social media um, links I sent them to Marnie this, sure. this morning shout them on <clears throat> out just for fun so uh, let me see if I can find them uh, it is so we are so the big one is, um, it's on Facebook, it's HRM 
A-T-N-A-U. So H-R-M at spelled out N-A-U. Uh, that's the big one. I think a lot of people do that. on Instagram, it's the same thing, H-R-M-A-T-N-A-U. And you can find us on there. And you can also just email us. Um, you can email me at mark.molinaro at nau.edu. Um, I'm happy to kind of coordinate if you're, if you're looking to get connected with our school in any way or, or become a lumberjack, reach out. Love to share more about what we do. So the hospitality, you know, students right now are obviously having a little bit of a struggle time because the hospitality industry is having such a struggle time. So if there's anything, any opportunities anybody has for those students, whether it's in that industry or a little bit outside of it, but, you know, still good opportunities, I'm sure that they would be super appreciative. So thank you for that. And then we like to wrap up, as you well know, with two truths and a lie. Hopefully we haven't outed you on any of your... Uh, statements, but we're not going to tell the listeners which one is the lie. So go ahead and tell us two facts, one lie. Okay. Don't let us know which one. Okay. So the first one I have is, um, I cooked with Julia Child. The second one I have is, uh, I play an electric guitar. And the third one I have is my great grandfather invented vanilla wafer. Fascinating. So good listeners, if you would like to know which one of those is not true, please give us a comment on any of your favorite podcast platforms or anywhere on social media, and we will let you know if you're right or wrong. Chef, thank you so much for being here. This was a fascinating conversation, and I truly appreciate it. Listeners, thanks for being here, too. Give us a follow or a subscribe, social media at Shandyland or on any of the podcast platforms, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and Apple, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. Thank you.